This is the Caveat Mentor Podcast, Season 1, Episode 4, where we're covering how tokenomics can give value to tokens. A little housekeeping note before we begin. Um, it makes sense to listen to these episodes linearly. I've had some comments from friends where they listen to the latest episode first, uh, especially if you're new to crypto. Uh, it makes a lot more sense to start at the beginning and work your way up. Uh, housekeeping number two, the giveaway of this week is Mysterium Tokens. Uh, if you want to join a giveaway, the raffle, then the instructions will be at the end of the episode. Uh, last housekeeping note, this is also a live stream. So for the people listening on audio, uh, you won't be able to participate anymore, uh, but I will let you know if I do more live recordings in the future. So the topic of this episode is tokenomics, which is a conjunction of the word token and economics. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is the supply and demand of dynamics of a token, uh, which are part of the reason that a certain token might have a certain value or valuation. So you can define demand as an expectation that leads you to want to own something. So a demand for food, you have a certain expectation that you're going to feel good when you consume this food, uh, which leads you to want to have this food. The same is the case with financial assets. And there could be a reason uh, that you want to own a certain financial asset, and the word we use to express that is demand. Now, I'll split demand in a couple of categories uh, to make it a little bit easier to talk about the different forms. So I have a silly acronym, just like last time, where we had the PET lid for, um, for distributed ledgers, and this time I have SUGGY, S-U-G-G-Y, which are scarcity, utility, governance, greater fool, and yield. We're going to go through these different demand types and then take an example of a token uh, that uh, is commonly understood to derive part of its value from this particular demand type. So starting for the S in SUGI, scarcity, um, where we're going to use the example of Bitcoin, the big daddy of all cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is occasionally referred to as digital gold. And that is a good way to think about the supply dynamics that are uh, in play and the reason that people might want to own it. So basically the reason people want to own Bitcoin mostly, uh, we can have a later discussion about greater full, is the fact that it is scarce. A little bit like gold, the reason people like to own certain things, certain commodities, is there's a limited amount, usually a low amount, uh, which means that if I have it and you don't, uh, most likely you're going to want it from me. Now note that that is not always the case. There are a lot of people who will argue uh, about gold that it is rather useless to own because it doesn't do anything. And even though it is just scarce, that is not enough of a reason to give it value. Uh, but something in human nature seems to indicate that we like scarce things, be it shells, glass, uh, jewelry, gold, whatever it is. Scarce things we like, probably something to do with status and evolution that we won't go into at uh, this particular point. Um, when it comes to tokens, one of the core ways in which the scarcity demand uh, can be calculated or guesstimated is if the uh, amount of a certain token has a known quantity. So some people will express this in things like stock to flow models, um, where you look at the amount of something that is available, the stock, then the flow of something, the amount uh, that becomes available uh, over time, and see that as a sort of uh, dynamic um, 
estimation of, of scarcity. Uh, a lot of the Bitcoin people will point you to Plan B's models. I'm not going to express an opinion on whether I think that model makes sense, uh, but it is a good example of um, how scarcity is used to uh, model the value of certain things. All right, so the U in Sagi um, is utility. This is one of my favorites, um, not for financial reasons. I actually don't invest in a lot of utility tokens, uh, but we'll come, come to that later. Also come to think of it, that's not exactly true. Story time for a different moment. Um, a utility token is a token that will unlock a certain action or service for you. So uh, one of the earliest clear examples of a utility token that I came across is actually Mysterium. So the, the token we're giving away today, it's not particularly valuable, but has a very clear utility dynamic. So Mysterium is a decentralized uh, VPN project. So if you want to access their VPN connection, you're going to have to pay in their Mysterium token, in their MIST token. Separate from whether you think that's a good idea, um, there's a very clear value to this MIST token and you can calculate it. If you have a certain assumption about uh, how much a megabyte or a gigabyte of bandwidth is worth, you can look at uh, industry providers, you can look at NordVPN, see how much bandwidth they offer for a certain price, calculate backwards, uh, and then you can just look uh, how much bandwidth does the Mysterium token give me. Um, and if that is cheap, then perhaps there's a, a reason to own it. And if it's expensive, uh, then perhaps that's a reason to ignore it. Another example that's perhaps closer to the heart of the people in the live stream is the RPL token. And I think Marceau made a very cool um, expression of how you can think of the RPL token. So the RPL token is used by stakers who stake with Rocketpool. It is required to stake uh, RPL if you want to stake in the Rocketpool system. And one way that you could describe that action is the RPL token is what you put at stake or pay. It's not exactly paying because you're not losing it. Um, but you are using it to gain extra yield because when you stake with Rocketpool, your yield is higher than if you would solo stake. Uh, so in that sense, you can think of RPL as a utility token, where its utility is increased yield uh, on your Ether staking. So we come to the first G in SAGI, uh, governance. So some tokens will allow you to make decisions about a protocol if you own said token. And the word we use for that in CryptoSphere's is their governance tokens. So they will allow you to vote on the future of some form of funds. Perhaps um, if you think of, for example, the ENS DAO, if you own ENS tokens, that allows you to vote on certain actions that the ENS protocol is going to take. Uh, if you own RPL tokens, you can vote on the protocol DAO proposals. Um, whether governance as such is a good idea is something that we can perhaps uh, discuss in a future episode because there are some very interesting nooks and crannies to think about. Things like uh, can you just buy a vote to basically change the future for protocol? Can you borrow tokens to uh, adversarially take over protocol? But in essence, a governance token is a token that allows you to vote on the future of a protocol. One example for which uh, the location of this live stream is relevant is the uh, Rocketeers. So the Rocketeers are an NFT project, completely not with a financial intention. As far as NFTs go, they're relatively cheap. Um, 
But one of the things that we're setting up now is we now have a multi-sig. So we have a wallet that is uh, owned by the community and can be accessed by a few trustworthy individuals when they sign a transaction together. Um, and a rocketeer can give you governance rights over this shared bank account that we have. So it's kind of a playful implementation uh, of a governance dynamic of a token. In this case, an NFT. So tokens don't need to be uh, ERC-20 fungible tokens in order to be used for governance. The next G in Suggy is greater full. Now this, this sounds a little bit condescending. Uh, so I'll quickly note this is a term that is borrowed from uh, economics and the financial world. But in essence, greater full is a way to express I buy something now because I believe someone else will be uh, buying it from me for more later. I might have a basis to think that, perhaps based on the uh, S in Suggy, based on scarcity, or perhaps the U, perhaps I think the utility is going up, or perhaps I really like dog-themed cryptocurrencies. Uh, if that's you, you do you. We will have differing opinions on the, this particular thing. Um, but in essence, greater full is uh, the way you can think of it as I buy it because someone else will buy it for more later, not because of some fundamental reason. And then we're already at the last letter of Suggy, yield. Now I have split this one into two types of yield. Uh, one we're going to call fundamental yield and the other we'll call relative yield. And uh, perhaps I'm going to upset some economics people because I uh, do these podcasts based on my current understanding, which is uh, generated on the fly. So I'm sure there are better uh, financial theories to express what I'm about to say. Uh, if so, if you know them, please put them in the chat. Um, fundamental yield is a yield that is generated by something quote unquote real. So a revenue stream. One example of this is the MKR token. So the exact tokenomics of that uh, are a little too complicated to go into right now. But in essence, if you own a MKR, um, there is an expectation that it would go up in value because MKR tokens are bought and burned as the protocol has more demand. So there is a theoretical uh, mathematical function through which we can expect MKR to go up um, and have a yield. But it has a fundamental reason based on the growth of our protocol. The second one, relative yield, I think is more interesting and far more common in cryptospheres. So relative yield is just expressed as a percentage of a token. You'll see this if a new a chain or protocol launches, they might give you yield on their own token. So uh, let's say, well, let's not use Uniswap, uh, random food, AppleSwap. Someone's, I don't know if that exists. If it does, I apologize. AppleSwap creates DEX. AppleSwap creates Apple tokens. Uh, that was a very bad word to start uh, using given the company's name, no association. Um, and they allow you to take the Apple token, stake it, and they will promise you a 10% yield on this Apple token. Now that sounds high. Uh, they might even give you a 500% yield. Uh, the problem in my mind is that yield is relative to the current token base. So without knowing where the value in that particular token comes from, um, it is just a yield relative to other tokens. Uh, we can perhaps have an interesting discussion about how RPL fits in that since RPL does also generate a yield. 
But that actually brings me to the, the next section. So we have these different demand types, the SUGI demand types, uh, the scarcity, utility, governance, greater fool, and yield. Most tokens are a combination of these different types of yield, or different types of demand. We can have one example in the crypto world as again, the RPL token. The RPL token can fulfill every um, demand type, the S, the U, the G, the G, and the Y. Uh, scarcity, we know how much RPL exists. We know it is going to inflate, but we know by how much it is going to inflate. So we have a predictable scarcity. Uh, so someone could do a scarcity analysis and own RPL purely because they know there's a certain amount. Um, I do not think that that is a good reason to own RPL, but you could make that argument. Utility. It definitely uh, is a utility token because the utility it unlocks is greater yield for your uh, ETH if you're going to stake it. Governance. They do allow you to vote on governance proposals. So RPL is a governance token as well. Greater Fool. Um, come hang out in a trading channel on, uh, on Discord. Uh, it is actually pretty tame compared to most other cryptocurrencies. Uh, but there's plenty of people who will buy this token because they purely think someone else will buy it off them for more. Uh, and yield, when you stake RPL as a node operator, I'm not talking about staking on, on DEXs or something uh, like that, um, you get a percentage yield on that. So I'm not positive enough to say um, the more demand types a token has, the better. Not at all, because the strength of the different demand types is far more important than how many types of demand are in. Um, but in this case, you can make the argument RPL has uh, all the types of demand, at least the ones that I could come up with. An interesting example, perhaps, in the TradFi world is the GameStop stock. So this was a meme stock for a while during COVID. People had a lot of time on their hands. Uh, Wall Street bets went ham. Uh, and decided, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pump the stock. So if we look at the demand types, scarcity. While you could argue there are a limited number of stocks for GameStop, they can issue new ones, and you cannot predict on a protocol or smart contract level how much more they're ever going to create. So from scarcity perspective, it doesn't really satisfy that. Utility. Well, having the stock doesn't really unlock any utility. Uh, perhaps you could argue that it allows you to show up to shareholder meetings um, and you can get free coffee there, depending on your definition of free, uh, but I'm going to put that under governance. That brings us to the next one, governance. If you buy a unit of stock in GameStop, uh, indeed, you're allowed to do governance. You're allowed to show up at shareholder meetings. I don't know what their specific statutes are like and how your vote will be counted. Uh, but in essence, you're allowed to make decisions about GameStop if you own a part of GameStop. Greater Fool. For sure. So this was one, basically the main reason that the value of GameStop went up uh, when it uh, it did. Uh, so yeah, definitely the, the second G. And why yield? So strictly speaking like a bond person would uh, would perhaps not like me using the word yield here um, but there is a revenue stream that comes from owning this uh, this security uh, if you can uh, basically think of it as a tradfi-esque uh, token uh, so in that 
while RPL can satisfy all of the types, the soggy uh, demand uh, options, GameStop only really has G, G, and Y. That brings me to my last point on that note, uh, and that's my personal preference. Uh, this, uh, so just for anyone listening, this is not advice of any type. Uh, it is just uh, the way that I like to look at these kind of things when I choose what positions I might or might not want to take. Uh, I will never claim to be a professional trader, uh, mostly a, uh, a lucky person who knows something about technology. Um, but I like the uh, scarcity and yield mostly. So if you look at most of my positions, it tends to be scarcity tokens, though Bitcoin is not a very large uh, holding of mine. ETH is a, is a larger one, uh, partially for the scarcity reason. Um, and yield. Now I caveat that by saying the utility of, for example, RPL is yield. Um, so I, uh, I definitely, uh, definitely like that one. But while utility tokens were very in vogue for a while, especially during the ICO boom of uh, 2018, um, I don't see uh, a very good way um, of investing in them because mostly the UX of using these tokens is currently as such, at least when it comes to utility that is not in the blockchain world, uh, that uh, yeah, it's just very hard to value them. Um, which also means that on a fundamental level, doing a fundamental analysis will lead you to some numbers uh, and you can't really predict in the same way that you could with the stock whether that is going to be reflected in the token price. Okay, that said, these are very vague um, preferences. My biggest preference when it comes to taking positions is basically just whether the team behind it is any good. Uh, take this with a grain of salt, but my main heuristic is always uh, are there mostly techies on board and are they good techies? The reason I invested in Ethereum ICO was basically just, uh, people will hate me, but yeah, that Vitalik was the one behind it and he was a dork with a bunch of other dorks building dorky things. And, and if you open a any project's website and it's mostly marketing and operations people, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not my game. Anyhow, so that is the main topic speed run for this episode. Uh, we have two more things. Uh, one, if you want to participate in the raffle for some missed tokens, uh, the way that works is if you own any of the uh, Adopt This Episode POAPs, uh, you can always join. The more you have, the more uh, chance you have to win. Uh, for this live stream, there's also a POAP. I can uh, already vaguely hear some people scrambling to grab their phone to scan a QR. Um, and basically, if you have these POAPs, you can, uh, in the description of this episode, in your podcast player, you'll see a link to a raffle. And if you own uh, any of the POAPs, then uh, you get to uh, get to join the raffle. Uh, and as requested in chat, a little speculation on possible tokenomics for the Onion DAO. So for the people who don't know what the Onion DAO is, um, I will go into it, but feel free to skip here. Uh, it's a fun example of, uh, of tokenomics, but this is more speculation than content. So the Onion DAO is a project that rewards people for running Tor exit nodes. Tor is an anonymity network that is run by volunteers. Uh, the downside of being run by volunteers is that these people aren't paid, so there aren't an infinite number of them. And Onion DAO is rewarding people for doing this. Those of you listening live, or even asynchronously, if you know what the word VPS means, if you know what the word bash means, and if you have a, a couple of dollars or euros a month 
to uh, to uh, push aside. Definitely look at OnionDAO. You can find the website at oniondao.web.app. You can come chat to us in the Rocketeer Discord. Links there too. Um, so when you run an OnionDAO-powered uh, Tor node, you every month get a POAP, which is an NFT type that proves you did a certain action. Um, the idea is to, in the future, have an ERC20 token, so a fungible token, uh, that is airdropped to people holding this POAP. Note this is pure speculation, uh, not a promise of a future yield, something something SEC. Um, and the idea is to create a fungible way for people to buy this token and thereby support the Onion DAO without having to reward individual contributors. So the problem you run into with uh, doing charity and good stuff, large players generally aren't very good at supporting individual people. So large players need to talk to large players. And there's a saying in, uh, in law, lawyers talk to lawyers. Well, big players like to talk to big players. Um, and one of the hypotheses behind the future of Onion DAO is if we create an ERC20 pool of value that represents all the good that Onion DAO does, currently we run only Tor nodes, perhaps in the future we shall do more. Um, perhaps if we create a pool like that that will allow bigger players to buy up tokens, thereby perhaps burning them, uh, thereby rewarding the people who hold those tokens. And the people who hold those tokens aren't speculators, but people who have completed some Onion DAO verified action. Like, for example, now running a Tor node. So, yeah, probably uh, if we end up doing that, we'll have some form of multi sig as well. We'll have wonderful community discussions about whether we should do a, um, well, pre mine isn't really the right word because no mining will be involved, uh, but a token allocation to, uh, to the DAO. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's people. Uh, in the chat who have far more uh, extravagant ideas than that. So this, uh, this concludes the recording section of this podcast. So I hope to see you in the next one. For the people in the live stream, don't worry, I'm not leaving just yet. But I am going to stop the recording, so uh, thank you. <laughs>